G'day again, everyone. It's great to see you all. Uh, I hope you've been enjoying this series in Genesis. I've been really enjoying getting into Genesis 1 to 12. I probably shouldn't ask whether you've been enjoying it. I've been doing most of the sermons, so that might... Uh, but um, uh, I hope you found it helpful, and in particular, the way it really helps us understand who we are as human beings in God's world, how it helps us understand this world we live in. Uh, and I think what you see is that when you understand the world the way Genesis 1 to 12 explains it to you, it makes sense. It makes sense of our world in a way that uh, uh, many people can't make sense of it. Uh, but uh, also, I want to keep reminding you, it's all part of one story. So if you've missed, because you've been away on holidays, lots of us have been away on holidays with school holidays and things. Uh, if you've missed any weeks, go back and uh, listen to the podcast so you don't miss out. And make sure you read the chapters in between. We can't cover everything in these chapters. But now I'm going to pray and we'll get into this very famous story. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we've learned in Genesis 1 to 11 so far. What we've learned about you, what we've learned about ourselves, what we've learned about our world. Uh, and we pray that you might continue to teach us by your word this morning. And especially that you might help us to learn from the sin of Babel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was about 19, uh, I went to America and uh, I was down the very, very deep south, down in New Orleans, uh, and there was this big American football game on. It was called the Sugar Bowl, and it was sort of like the, the Super Bowl, the grand final for two college university football teams. Uh, but college football in America is bigger than our professional football. Uh, and so these two, they were both, it was the University of Florida and the University of the State of Florida, something like that. They sound exactly the same to me, but I just had to pick a side and go for one. And they'd taken over New Orleans and the stadium, which seated 80,000 people, was totally sold out. And uh, this is for a college football game. So I thought, I, I want to see this. I wanna... So I found this English guy outside the stadium. They're always English. And uh, he sold me a ticket that he assured me was on halfway and just at the right place. So anyway, I, I bought my ticket. And as I uh, went in, uh, I needed oxygen to get to my seat. It was so high up. I had to lean around a pole and use binoculars to see the field. My English friend must have been mistaken. But anyway, uh, I, as I got there, there was a guy already sitting in a seat there. And I, I said, g'day. Because for some reason, when I'm overseas, I am more Australian than when I'm in Australia. So anyway, I said g'day to this guy. And he then, he then spoke to me and he, he said something and I could not understand a word of what he was saying. I just, he spoke and I, you know, there was a lot of noise in the stadium and everything, but I just couldn't get it. I said, oh, I'm sorry, mate. Can, can you repeat that? And so he said it again. This time he seemed to say it for twice as long and I genuinely could not understand a word of what he said. And so I did that thing where you take a punt and I, I just sort of went, oh yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. I had obviously misread uh, what he was saying because his face just went totally dark. Uh, it was obvious he was terribly offended and he actually he got up and just walked away. And there were no other seats in the same. He never came back. So I don't know where he went. I don't know where he found a seat. And to this day, I've wondered, what did he say to me? I sort of run it through in my mind, and I, I've wondered if he said something like, my mother is in hospital, really sick, but I'm here for the football or something, and I've gone, oh, yeah, you know, and, uh, uh, but I will never know. So if he's listening to the podcast, perhaps he can send me an email so I understand it to tell me. But 
that, that is the difficulty of uh, communication in our world, isn't it? And this guy and I, we even spoke the same language in theory, at least. But that is the reality. Our world is divided. It's divided by language. It's divided by culture. It's, uh, communication is hard. That is just a reality of our world. And today, we are seeing where that all began. We're seeing the story of the Tower of Babel, where God scattered people where God divided people, and we've been dealing with the consequences of what happened there ever since. So let's get into this famous story, but like I keep saying, to understand it, you need to see where it fits in the whole story. So I want you to go back to the end of the story of Noah that we saw last week. So if you need a Bible, put up your hand, and Adriel will get one there for you. But uh, if you've got your Bible there, turn back to chapter 9. So last week, we had the Great Flood where God judged the world, effectively then he recreated the world. And so as Noah and his family got off the ark, it was like they were in Eden again. It was like they were back at the beginning again. They were the new Adam and Eve. This, this was a fresh start for humanity. And so God gives them the same task that he'd given the first human beings. So flick back, chapter 9, verse 1 says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then go down to verse 7, it says, but you be fruitful and multiply, spread out over the earth and multiply on it. And so if that sounds familiar to you, that's because it should, because it's what God said for the first human beings to do. So having destroyed creation and then recreated it, God says, now Get back to that task I've given humanity. This is humanity's marching orders. That's what it was to obey God at that time. So God wants humanity to multiply, spread out over the whole world. So Noah and his sons obey God. And that's what you see in chapter 10. So go to chapter 10. I've called it humanity, all one family. Look with me from verse 1. It says, these are the family records of Noah's sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth. They also had sons after the flood, Japheth's sons, Gomer, Magog, Madai, etc., etc., etc. Now, now, this is one of those chapters in your Bible where our eyes often glaze over. Be honest, in your Bible reading plan, when you come up to this chapter, you just sort of scan down and go on to the important bit on the next chapter. You're not alone if you do that. There's a reason I read, we had chapter 11 read and not chapter 10, even though we're looking at it all uh, this morning. All these lists of names, so boring, or so we think. Actually, this is really important, and there's a reason it's there. It's because this is Noah and his sons doing what God had called on them to do, multiplying and settling the world. This is humanity obeying God at this point. Now, as I keep saying in this series, these chapters are history. These are real people. They are real nations, but they're written in a, in a richly symbolic way. So all these people and nations and tribes are real. Uh, if you look down at verse 15, it says, One of the sons of Ham was Canaan. And it says his, his, de his descendants were the Jebusites and the, the Amorites. They were the people, this is talking about the real people, several generations down the track, who would live in the promised land, who would fight with God's people when they came in after their captivity in Egypt. We'll see it next week, but it's from the sons of Shem that God would choose Abraham to build a people for his very own. That's why to this day, Jews are called Semites, descendants of Shem. That's where that comes from. So sadly, this week, if you've been watching the news, we've been hearing people hell, uh, yell horrible anti-Semitic things at protest. This is where that name comes from. They are anti 
the sons of Shem. They are anti the descendants of Shem. So this, this is real. These are real nations, real descendants it's talking about. But it doesn't, I think, capture every tribe and every nation. You know, the indigenous people of North America or, or Australia are not on the list. Don't try to force them in as sons of Ham or, or something like that. And the fact that it stops at 70 descendants or 70 nations suggests to me that it is somewhat symbolic. 70 was a number, 7 was a number of completeness, 10 meaning large. Uh, I think it's a bit like us saying there were hundreds of nations. I think that's, that's what it's doing by having a, a list of 70 there. So there's symbolism to this. The idea is humanity did what they were told. Humanity spread out and completely filled the earth. Now that I want to pause, just at this point, and make a couple of points out of chapter 10. We're about to get to the division of chapter 11. But before we do, this little chapter just reminds us of the sameness of humanity. Genesis 10 reminds us that all people are related. We are all image bearers of God who who trace our descendants to the same place. We, We might be three millionth cousins, two million removed or something like that. But we are all cousins, whatever our colour, whatever our race, whatever, wherever we live, we all share the DNA, is how modern science might put it. We all come from the same source, is how the Bible would put it. And this is why it's such a sin to hate or kill any human being. This is why it is such a sin. Look at what God said to Noah back in chapter 9, verse 6. Look back to chapter 9, verse 6. He says to Noah, whoever sheds man's blood... His blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. See, There is some truth to that idea of the the universal brotherhood or the universal sisterhood of humanity. More than that, this means that all people are given life by God and accountable to God for their life. People are not accidents. So look at how Paul puts this in Acts chapter 17. This is him speaking to the Greeks He says, from one man, he, God, has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He, God, did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So we're going to see next week how God decided to work through one particular nation. We're going to see how God chose the descendants of Shem through the line of Abraham to make his plans happen to save the world. But that doesn't change the fact that all people from all nations are special to God and all people from all nations are given life by God and God wants every person from every nation to reach out and find him and give him the honour and the glory that he deserves. But sadly, that common humanity is broken at chapter 11. So come with me. Now we're at the main point, the Tower of Babel, humanity divided. Come with me to chapter 11, verse 1. It says, At one time, the whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. Now, eagle-eyed readers will say, hang on, how can that be? Because chapter 10 that came before just said, all these nations that spread out had their own language. 
Well, this is explaining how that came about. It's not chronological order. Chapter 10 is the whole story, if you like. Chapter 11 is one little episode that explains how chapter 10 happened. And it explains where chapter 10, verse 25. Go to chapter 10, verse 25. If you look there, it says, In the days of Peleg and Joktan, the earth was divided. So this is that point when the earth was divided. But at this point, it says, humanity was all in common, all with one language, united, you might say. And you might think, that is great. How good is this? This must have been a golden era for the earth. No misunderstandings. That means they can join together. They can do great things for God's glory. And that would be true, except they had more in common than language. What else did they have in common? Sin. The other thing they had in common was they were all descendants of Adam and Noah. And so they had sin in every person's heart. And so here are the people spreading out over the earth. As they head east, they get to this valley of Shinar. It's in the Euphrates Valley. It's in modern-day Iraq, a very fertile area. And that is when the problem arises. I've called it the sin of Babel, human arrogance. Come with me to verse 3. It says, they said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. I was careful there, Brett. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, what was the problem with this? What's the problem? I mean, human ingenuity is a good thing, isn't it? We, we love it when human beings come up with new things. It's wonderful. They, they worked out how to build bricks. Aren't we thankful for that? We wouldn't have this building if, if people hadn't discovered that. They worked out how to put them together. What's the problem? Well, there's two problems. I think the first is less obvious. So I'm going to go there first. The first problem is they say they want to build a city so that they won't be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, what's wrong with that? There is nothing wrong with people living in cities. Praise God. I am a city boy. I like my trips to the country to be short and sweet. I, you know, that, that's for holidays. I want to come back. And in time, God would establish his people in a great city, Jerusalem. God is not against cities. But at this point, what had God commanded people to do? Remember? Spread out over the whole earth and multiply. This was humanity saying, get lost, God. So that's the sin here. This was humanity saying, get lost, we know better. Now, I wonder if it also expresses a lack of trust or a lack of faith in God. You see, we gather in cities for convenience sake. The reason I like living in a city is I'm close to the beach and I'm close to the movies and I can go to the shops and get whatever I want. I don't like the idea of living in the country and having to wait for it to come to me. You know, I live in a city for convenience sake. Also, you've given me a job here to be your pastor. That's the other reason I'm here. In the ancient world, people gathered in cities for security. That's why they gathered. It was to protect themselves from the wolves and the, the lions and sadly from other people. So I wonder if behind this sin was a lack of trust in God for their security. So it took faith in God to trust him to spread out into unknown new areas with wild animals. It's it, it, much easier to seek your security together. I think this is the temptation, the first expression of that temptation we all have to build barns here on earth. That temptation to seek security in this world rather than trust in the goodness of God to provide. It's that temptation we have to hold back, to not be generous, because we need to find our security in this earth. I wonder if that's behind this sin. 
But the second part of the sin of Babylon is even more obvious. Look at verse 4 again. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. I hope you can see the problem. Mankind is incredible. We alone, we're not the same as, as the creatures. It's amazing how often when you, when you just listen to the radio or watch the TV, you, you have these well-meaning people saying, oh, I don't like the way human beings think they're more important than the, the, the cows or the koalas or the chickens. We are, mankind is incredible. We alone of the creatures can do incredible things because we're made in the image of God. We can build cities. We can build towers that reach up into the sky. See, what, they, what they built was probably the first, what we call a ziggurat, which is one of those stepped pyramids that goes up and up and up with a big square and then a little square and a little square and a little square. In fact, you can go, and they've done images of where Babylon was, the ruins of Babylon. You can see the foundations of where there was a massive one of these. Whether it was this one or one that came later, who cares? But the intent of what they were doing was to join God in the heavens. That's what they were trying to do, or perhaps displace God. It was actually the first of the man-made religions. It's the first effort of humanity to say, we can climb up to God. We can do things to get to God, rather than listen to the God who has revealed himself. And it was clear what drove them. It was a desire for their own glory. See, we human beings, we are made to bring glory to God. That's why we exist we are made to make God's name great. What did they want to do? They wanted to make their name great. This was just like Adam's sin played out again. Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden? If you eat the fruit, you can be like God. Well, this is just humanity doing it again. If you build the tower, we might be like God. Human beings can do wonderful things. And God wants us to do wonderful things. Human ingenuity is great. But when it leads to us being glorified rather than God, it is sin. I know the world mocks it, but I think that's why it's wonderful when the actor getting his Oscar or, or the Olympian getting their gold medal or the politician winning the election says, I thank my Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. And I know the world, you know, will write an article in the paper going, oh, was Jesus there helping you get over the bar or was Jesus there helping you? And, and they mock it. But it's actually a wonderful thing when someone says that because they're recognising, I've done this thing, but it's by the power of God and it's for God's glory. I think that's beautiful because they're recognising even the greatest human accomplishments are not for us. But of course, that's the exception. The sin of Babel is alive and well, isn't it? It's alive and well at the international level. It's what drives dictators to invade other countries and build massive statues of themselves. That's just the sin of Babel at work. But I'm more worried about the sin of Babel right here at a personal level because it's what drives every one of us to seek the praise of men, to want other people to think we're great rather than to seek the glory of God. Well, that brings us to God's response. Come with me to verse 5. Uh, through this series, I keep talking about how beautifully written these stories are in their original language, how they, how they draw the reader in to focus on certain verses. That verse here is actually verse 5. This whole story is actually built up to verse 5 and then sort of goes down from verse 5, sort of like a tower in many ways, in a, in a literary sense. Verse 5 is the high point. 
And I love this verse because it captures the scorn, dare I say it, the sarcasm God has for even the most impressive efforts of humanity. Uh, look at verse 5. It says, Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the men were building. Now, now understand this. God does not need to come down. God is spirit. God isn't like sitting up somewhere and he's got to come down a ladder and then come down a lift and get on a plane. God is all-seeing. God is all-knowing. God can see everything perfectly well. So why does it say the Lord came down? It's to capture the fact that the greatest thing humanity had done up until that point is microscopic to God. It's to capture the fact to God it is like a pimple on the face of the earth. Look, look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22. It'll come up on the screen. It says, this captures it. God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. See, that, that's how God, compared to God, that is the reality. That's why this story is so wonderfully written. It's capturing, as I say, dare I say it, the sarcasm of God. Uh, where's that tower you're talking about? Where's that tower that's meant to have poked its way up into my world? Where, where's that tower that, that you say is going to bring you up to my level? Where, where is it again? I can't see it. That thing down there. Are you serious? Makes me think of Psalm 2 when it talks about the schemes of man against God and his anointed one. Psalm 2 verse 4 says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. Understand this. God is not scared by human sin. God is not worried by human sin. God is grieved by human sin. We are no threat to God, though. God laughs. It's sad laughter. It's ironic laughter. But God laughs at our feeble efforts to seek our own glory. But at this point, he also acts. Next point, God's judgment and God's grace. Come with me to verse 6. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people, all having the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Now, again, God is not concerned for himself here he's not threatened oh no they might actually succeed next time if I don't do something he is concerned for humanity he's thinking I have made this incredible creation human beings in my image if they band together like this they will do awful things on that earth that I've created so we think unity is always a good thing don't we after the events in, in Israel and Gaza this week, I turned on one radio station and they were playing John Lennon's Imagine. And imagine there was just one government in the world and imagine that, that we were all friends. Actually, when sinful human beings get together without God, sin gets worse. If all of humanity was united without God, there is no telling the evil we would do. You see this if you look at the Soviet Union, the history of the Soviet Union, which now has created Russia and Vladimir Putin and all that. That idea that everyone could get together and share everything in common in a wonderful state where there are no classes and no private wealth sounds wonderful in theory, but it doesn't account for human sin. You see? And so where does it end up? Where did it end up for them? with powerful people rising to the top and perpetuating evil and atrocities on everyone else. And every time it excludes God and it persecutes people who want to find God, be very, very careful longing for unity in our world, or at least a unity without God. 
So God acts to divide humanity. Look from verse 7. It says, come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. So from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babylon. For there, the Lord confused the language of the whole earth and from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. The name Babel or Babylon is a beautiful play on words. In the Hebrew, it's connected to the verb to confuse. And that's carried through to English when they translated our King James Bible. It's where we get the word Babylon, you know, someone who just babbles, someone who just, you can't understand them. They're just sort of confused. In time, though, in the language of the Babylonians, it meant the gate of the gods. So you see the wonderful irony? They tried to build a gate to the gods. God said, you're just going to end up babbling. That's what it captures. Now, what God does here is an act of judgment. God scatters humanity. God divides humanity. This is God's judgment on human beings, but it's also an act of grace. See, it's only because God did this that humanity actually did what it was meant to do. It's only because God did this that they didn't say, let's hang out in Babylon together and actually went to the ends of the earth like God had commanded. But more than that, God in doing this was limiting the impact and the power of human sin. It's funny, we just think if all the different nations of the earth with, with all their leaders just came together, that, that would solve all our problems. Actually, it would be even worse if we didn't have different countries and different governments because it limits the damage the sinful rulers that rise to the top can do. Imagine if Vladimir Putin didn't just control Russia. Imagine if he controlled the whole world. So people have this idea, one world, all united, people living in peace. Yes, if it was united under God. Yes, if Jesus is the king. But not if it's united under someone like me. Not if it's united under sinful humanity. God's scattering is both judgment and grace. But that leads us to God's answer to Babylon. Our final major point. So God's answer to the fractured nature of our world is not to say, hey, humanity, get your act together and get united. No, God's answer is that all humanity should be united in worshipping God. That's the answer. In the Old Testament, the prophet Zephaniah, I thought I'd pick one of the more obscure prophets for today. The prophet Zephaniah promised one day Babel would be reversed. Look at what he said. He said, for I will then restore pure speech to the peoples so that all of them may call on the name of Yahweh and serve him with a single purpose. And when Jesus came, what happened after his death and resurrection? The miracle of Pentecost, where people from all over the world heard the gospel in their own language. And from that day on, Christians have taken the gospel to people from every language, tribe and tongue. Often Christians will spend years learning a language so they can go and share the gospel with people who would not otherwise hear it. If you get the McDowell's prayer letter, who we support in Paraguay, they go there to Paraguay and they have to learn Spanish to talk to people and then they have to learn Guarani as well. Now, why not do that? Why not actually say, you guys just learn English and then I'll tell you about Jesus? It's because they want every person to hear the gospel in their tongue so that they can then praise Jesus in their tongue and share it with everyone else in their tongue. And so now there are people who praise the name of Jesus in English 
and Spanish and French and Mandarin and Cantonese and Hindi and Urdu and in indigenous languages. Do you know the only reason all the indigenous languages of Australia have survived is because of Christian missionaries? It's Christian missionaries who went in and kept those languages alive so they could share the gospel with people in their tongue. You see, God doesn't unify humanity by making us all the same. He doesn't destroy our differences. God unifies humanity by bringing us together with our common faith in Jesus. Yes, sadly, the church fails at points and sadly the church divides at points and is always sad when Christians divide. But even so, there is actually nothing in all of history that compares to the Christian church. There's actually nothing in all of history that compares to this, what we have here this morning and what, what you would see if you came on, come on tonight, on, on Sunday night. Nothing, where where people from, if not every nation on earth, a whole heap of them, join together and worship the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is God undoing Babel. And we are a part of that as his people. And where will we see that most wonderfully? It's when Christ returns and he establishes a new creation, his new heavens and his new earth, and we will stand side by side with people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, declaring God's praises. We read Revelation 5 before, but I've got a quote from Revelation 7. Uh, it says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were robed in white with palm branches in their hands. For some reason it says it twice there. Go to verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Won't that be wonderful? See, that's when the division of our world will be gone once and for all, when Christ returns and people from every nation, every tribe will declare the praise of Jesus in their own language. Come, Lord Jesus. Well, as I finish, I just want to remind us, we are tempted by the sins of Babel every day. That desire to be your own boss, that desire to make our own decisions without reference to God, that desire to seek security in this world, that desire to make my name great, to care what other people think of me more than I care what God thinks of me, that desire to make myself the centre of the world rather than God, to seek after our glory. And the answer to the sin of Babel is really, really simple. Stop searching for your identity in all those sorts of places and just trust in Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, seek first my kingdom, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And the irony is you get the other things as well. See, we want to be people who live for the glory of Jesus, not for ourselves. And we can do that because Jesus has come to fix the sin of Babel. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we admit that all too often we are like the first humanity, that all too often we look for security in this world and we look for the glory of our own name rather than the name of Jesus. And so we repent of that. But Father, we thank you that you have provided the solution to the Tower of Babel, that you have sent your Son and he is the Saviour of all people. And so we pray that your gospel might go out to every nation. But we also long for that day when the divisions of our world are done away with once and for all, not with some false Babylonian unity, but with a unity where we stand together declaring the praises of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.